showing his athletic potential. Ladies and gentlemen, watch him accelerate, right? Right, it's another week, another edition of the Play by Play Analysis Podcast. Devin Nash, BSK Play by Play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. I got my brothers Xavier and Lawrence in the building once again. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, bro. As always, man, we appreciate you having us, man. Really can't wait to talk about this uh, subject tonight. But uh, before we get started, man, it's only right that we. Uh, Say uh, rest in peace to uh, C.C. Vivian and uh, Congressman John Lewis, man. Oh, yeah. Two civil rights leaders that we Amen. lost on Friday. Amen. Just uh, thank you to them for their fight, their vision, their cause. And it's up to us now to continue to lead the way. And to everybody that wants to know the best way we can do that, just show up at the polls and vote. Exactly. Seriously. Exactly. Because, I mean, they both could have lost their lives in Selma back in 1965 when they were out there fighting for black people to have the right to vote. Like, the ultimate payoff is for us to just show up at the polls and vote. Of course, there's more work to do after that, but that's where it starts right there. That's the easiest way. That's the easiest way, for sure. Yeah, rest in peace to them. You know, glad to see they, you know, live the fulfilling life. And we owe a debt of gratitude to them, for sure. But, you know, to get on to the topic at hand, um, this, this past week was a big week in sports. Um, but a friend of yours, ex, uh, Tyler R. Tynes, like a big brother to you, you've mentioned that before, and we've talked about this project on some recent episodes before, but it finally was released on July 13th, The Cam Chronicles. It was a six-part docu-series, kind of documenting the life of Cam Newton from about the time he got to high school until his current present day, so... It was, you know, six parts, and it was a very easy listen. You know, like, it wasn't, like, pulling teeth out to listen to it, you know. It it was really smooth, like, the way he put the story together. And I got to say, that's my first time listening to him, like, or to reading his work type of thing. Like, I follow him a little bit, but this is my first time really exploring his work. And dude got away with words. That's the one thing off the bat that I know with him, like, his way with words. And as a writer myself, that, that that's something, you know, that I really look up to. But just kind of to get you guys' thoughts, I'm going to start with you, X, because you know the brother personally. What did you think of this piece of work that he put together? Well, before I touch on that, I'll just say this right now for the both of you. If you ever have a conversation with him, that is exactly who he is in person, too. Mm-hmm. Who he was on, on this podcast series is who he is. He is just his natural, authentic self. From Philly. But, uh, yes, kudos and uh, props as always to my big brother, man, Tyler Tynes. Um, I'll, I'll talk to him real soon about this project. I, I haven't had an opportunity to uh, hit him back up yet. Mm-hmm. But, man, like you said, it was a very easy listen. And I'm glad that I took one of my off days to actually listen to every part of this project. Because, like you said, he's just real smooth with his words. He has a way of going about it. And, honestly, I wasn't expecting Cecil Newton to mainly be the star of this whole thing. Because Cecil Newton was really the star of the entire podcast. I've known for years that Cam Newton is a private person. But it it, it was really uh, neat and different to hear from the perspective of Cecil Newton on so many different things involving his son and his life's experiences and mm-hmm. how much he actually was involved with Cam's collegiate process all the way through. Yeah, and I think people got to put more respect on Cecil Newton's name because too many people know him simply as the man that took money from Mississippi State. Like, you know, that that's about as much as I knew about him before this, you know. But this, you know, this he's a he's a pastor, you know, he's a he was a very tough man as we learned in the first episode. Um, you know, but he was he loved Cam, like and he would do anything for Cam, and not just Cam, you know, his other brothers, Kaylin and um I'm trying to think of his older brother's name, but Cecil Jr. Cecil Jr., there you go. So, like, you know, but 
he did everything to put those boys in position to succeed. And, you know, it's really thing. But, Lawrence, what did you think of... I felt like it. I, I loved it. Just like you were saying, it was an easy read. Uh, I will say he does, Tyler does, definitely has a way with words. Um, I'll admit, before, you know, we started talking about him in the group chat, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about him. But it was really interesting and quite an experience to, like, listen to him and that be my first time hearing him. You know, a lot of times when we idolize somebody or, you know, try to mold our work out of somebody, you have some type of background information of that person prior to. Like, we grew up knowing Michael was that man, LeBron, Coach, type of people. And so I just felt that it was so cool to, like, hear of another journalist, a black man at that, doing such great work that you hear about it by word of mouth and not that it's a type of viral sensation or that he has a type of highlight reel on SportsCenter and they really get into like how he talks and it's even cooler to hear you say that that's how he is in real life so it's really enlightening for me right and for me you know as a writer like I said you know one of my people that I really love and enjoy reading or slash listening to their work is Mirren Fader for Bleacher Report. You know, another young, well, I mean, relatively young journalist out there, you know, master test of sin from BR as well. Tyler is kind of that mold, you know, he's like the up and coming generation. You know, we've had our Michael Wilbons and, you know, our Stephen A's and, and all these people, but this is the generation somewhat above us, but kind of with us, you know, so... And actually, one of my friends, I didn't realize how um, known he was that someone, a friend of mine said he's the reason, because she's from Philly as well, he's the reason that um, she actually wanted to go into studying journalism is because of him. So I found that interesting when I was, like, talking about it to her. She's like, oh, you know, so that, you know. But to get into the work a little bit itself, I know that, you know, they really... I learned some new things about Cam that I didn't realize, you know, some, some, some new stuff about him that, you know, like his, like you said, X, that, that whole experience that he had at Blinn, I, you know, you, you hear that he was there, but you, you never really hear how it went for him, you know? So that was something I found interesting. I don't know what, I don't know what, what else stood out to y'all about what Tyler was talking about. Well, I definitely got to go into where we started with him at the University of Florida and how he had to just compete for the backup job to Tim Tebow when he first got there because there was no doubt about it. I live in the state of Florida now, and Tim Tebow is still one of the most beloved figures in the history of college sports in this state. So you can only imagine what it was like in 2006 and 2007 when he was actually a college student at Florida, and Florida was getting all of these wins, and they were competing for national championships year in and year out. There was no way that while Tim Tebow was still on that roster and healthy enough to play, that Cam was ever going to unseat him in that position. Right. But the fact that he had to compete for the backup job, and then after Tebow left, Deb, you reminded me before we hopped on to this call, of how bad Blantley really was. Because like I said, I'm a diehard SEC football fan at heart anyway. Of course, now I watch more of the college football all around all of the different conferences. But I don't even remember when Blantley played at Florida. And maybe that's because he was that after bad. that 2018 <laughs> had left and they had all gone to the league, all those prospects there, and after Tebow had left, I think I had pretty much just lost interest in the program at that point. Not saying that I was ever a University of Florida fan anyway. But they weren't an intriguing team to watch. Yeah, my, and after all of those guys left, they weren't anymore. Yeah, my thing but, is, like, I really hated Florida the same way people hate Alabama now. Like, because a lot of people don't remember, like, Alabama before Nick Saban showed up. Like, Urban Meyer and Tebow and them boys was down there. Like, you know, they, the SEC ran through Gainesville. It didn't run through Tuscaloosa. It didn't run through. Uh, you know, some of these other spots that it runs through now. Like, so, you know, Florida came in there and Cam, I didn't, like you said, I didn't know he was at Florida at first. 
like that that that, that time in in time or that that period in time is just so like foreign to me that you know and you know yeah like you said i mean he he was never going to unseat Tivo and like even if he earned the opportunity to do it he just never was going to do it the other thing that stood out to me is the way he was ostracized when he left cuz of the whole laptop thing and you know he was accused of stealing a laptop but he also cheated twice he was facing expulsion for academic misconduct and that's really like the laptop wouldn't have been an issue it was those that cheating that he was doing that is what really essentially is what made Cecil decide to pull him out. And that's one thing I that's yeah. uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's one thing I don't like. I didn't like from Cecil in his words was kind of like he tried to try to play it off as if to say, Oh, boys will be boys but it's like, no man, like your son was caught at a university twice for che- for cheating. And then for stealing a laptop, which he signed in to, with his university credentials. Yeah, that so, was dumb. Like, I didn't, like that, that was one thing I didn't like the situation. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it was just the deep, but I would have liked to see more discipline from Cecil. And I'm not trying to tell anybody how like, to raise their family or whatnot. But in the interview, how he just kind of came off as like, oh, well, you know, kids. But no, like, dude was caught cheating. Twice. Like one of them, I believe it was a paper that he took from another student. Yeah, and wrote his name on it. And wrote his name on it. And then he bought the other one. And, yeah, and then you buy another one. And then you, and then like, not only do you steal the laptop, I don't think if the laptop was in that big of a deal, if you would have never even signed into it. Because at least then you can, like, return it and be like, okay, you know, you, you can find loopholes. But to somebody's laptop and then sign into it with your university credentials alerting the authorities that this is me who did it it's kind of like bro like what what like i'm curious to figure out how he was raised in a (laughs) home but still going out to florida like doing that but i think i think that's what it is when you're raised in a household like that where i mean i mean it's like you do as I say or else. And, like, you know, people always say that, like, strict parents create, create sneaky kids. So when you go off to Florida and that's, like, the first amount of freedom you've had as a 19-year-old, I think he was at the time. Like, not to say, I mean, hey, I never did nothing stupid like that. But, I mean, you know, 19-year-olds, not all 19-year-olds are created equal. You know, different things happen. And my thing is, I'm with Cecil a little bit where he was like, yo, I could have paid for a new laptop. Like, it, it wasn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. And when you consider what some of his teammates was getting in trouble for it, because y'all remember Florida, when Urban Meyer was there, like Tebow was looked at as like, oh, this good old Christian boy leading this group of heathens. Like, that's what it felt like. Like, you know, Aaron Hernandez was on that team. Let's not forget, you know. And he was doing stuff long before he got to New England. Percy Harvin was doing his share of stuff, you know, and they had plenty of other ones, like, you know. Florida wasn't just a bunch of crystal clean young men here. Not to say that that excuses anything Cam did, but I'm just like, people are acting this way over some stuff that, and, you know, we've all been in college. I'm not going to throw nobody's names out there, but we know people who've cheated on tests. I've done papers for people. Like, you know, so, like, it's, it's, some of this stuff was a little bit, overdoing it but at the same time like yeah he brought it on himself it's not like he was being persecuted well let me ask you something let me ask you something so if you were Cecil in that position would you have pulled Cam out yes. of Florida with all the if it's not as big of a deal yes do you? well that that would give him an excuse to leave because like we said he wasn't unseating Tebow even before that stuff happened but my thing is like okay to the Tebow point it's kind of like and that's kind of, this isn't just a cam thing. This is an issue I kind of have with a lot of younger people who transfer a lot nowadays. It's kind yeah. of like they don't take these type of things into like into thought. It's kind of like oh, I'm the number one recruit. Wherever I go, they'll open up a spot for me. When in reality, as we see with running backs who go to Alabama, or we see with quarterbacks who go to whatever like oh, well, at the time frame it was. Kevin Sumlin with Texas A&M with all, getting all the quarterbacks. 
just because you can be ranked a certain way, that does not beat out somebody who has won in the system that you are going to. Right. So for him to like even commit to Florida off rip but, was kind of a oh well I can go down to Florida and you know play my ball and I and I can do and get away with what I need to get away with. But there was a reason for that. Yeah. And it was the fact that Florida and Mississippi State were one of two schools, I believe. And I believe he said Alabama was the third school yeah. that was included. He listed three schools. And I believe Alabama was the third school yep. that only wanted to recruit Cam as a quarterback. Every other school wanted him to move to a different position. Yeah. Tight end was the one that I heard the most. Because he was 6'5", 240. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I get that. But to Lawrence's point, he's absolutely right. Ted Cecil Cecil could have worded that differently. Yeah. But I'll also tell y'all this off of experience. I've been around Cecil Newton before, and it's not because of that Savannah State connection. It partially may be, and I don't even know about it, but I'll give you a quick story. In 2018, a friend of mine, shout out to him. He's an up-and-coming photographer. His name is Tevin Tyler. He's doing big things out there with his photography game. Mm -hmm. He invited me to go be a part of a photo shoot and video shoot that he was doing for one of Cam Newton's camps that Cam Newton does for kids, high school kids, elementary kids, middle school kids, every spring slash summer in Georgia. And Tyler actually... Tyler actually was there on the first episode, too. Yeah, I remember that. And Cam didn't get there until late, but Cecil was there the entire time. And the point that I'm trying to make here is, from what I gathered about Cecil Newton on that day, and what I also gathered about him in this podcast was the same thing. Through it all, thick and thin, right or wrong, He's going to protect his family at any and all costs. And he should. Yes. You know, and not just him, like anybody. Like anybody would have done this. Like um, to a lesser extent, Johnny Manziel's family kind of sort of did the same thing. Like, you know, they bought him a car before he got to A&M because they didn't want boosters preying on him and getting him in trouble because you know that happens. You know, little, little things like that. Like people don't think about that, you know. And to Lawrence's point, I do agree that yeah, these kids, and I've said that too, sometimes we get so stuck up on competition as athletes and wanting to compete and be better that sometimes we don't do, they don't do the sensible thing, which is, look, just because people are going to make, people are going to criticize you and call you taking the easy road out regardless of what you do. You might as well do it and go somewhere where you can play and win and be called whatever versus being commended for handling a situation great and missing three years out of you only get four, maybe five if you get medical. So, like, you might as well be called a sellout and all kinds of other stuff, but win while doing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's, and that's what we see so often now. I thought it's Especially kind of shifted now. from... It shifted more from football to me to basketball. We'll see all these people who will go to Kentucky. They'll go to a Duke. Well, year one, you're getting two minutes a game. Well, it's like... I know I'm better than this. Well, then they end up going somewhere else. And like you just said, now you got to sit out a whole year. Well, now instead of going there for that four years, now you're done two years. Because you wasted the first year, then you transferred. So then you got to sit out a year. So I don't know where this stigma came from, per se. But it really just shows, like, to me it shows who really wants it. Like in football, in basketball, whatever sport. Only so many athletes are allowed on the, on the field, court, whatever, at yeah. a time. Yep. Are you going to be one of those players that's on the field? And if you're not, as we see, the people who don't make the cut, instead of working hard and um, pushing through, they quit in a sense and transfer to a coach who promises them more time or opportunity. But that's the other thing, too. They're, they're I don't want to say they're being lied to, but in a lot of cases, they're being told all these things and you know generally hey oh yeah sometimes they're flat out told look you're going to be able to compete for this and you hear competition and it's like whatever and if you don't win you just figure hey i didn't win so i need to work harder when in reality the coach was feeding you a pipe dream to begin with you know like like in urban meyer's cases what it looks like is that he, he told cam and cecil one thing and when he gets there 
he's competing for a backup job with John Brantley of all people. <laughs> like who? And, and, yeah, and, and then when he leaves, and then when he leaves, the departing words that he leaves him with were, "I don't think he's it at quarterback." After mm-hmm. that's what he told yeah. us. Like, you know, these coaches got a part. I mean, as much as, look, these players got to realize, like, some stuff. At the same time, these coaches are feeding these 17, 18-year-old kids. A lot of them trying to get their parents out the hood and all types of stuff. They're feeding them all this stuff. And, you know, it's like the kids are at a loss regardless of what they do. And that's kind of what happened with Cam. I was listening to it. It reminded me of the situation that Kevin Sumlin was in. But he not only had Kyler Murray, but he had Kyle Allen. And Trevor Knight. You said what? And Trevor Knight. Exactly. And so it was kind of one of the things where it's kind of like, of course, you, like like at that time, I believe Kyle Allen was, say, he Kyle Allen was class before Kyler. Mm-hmm. And Kyle was the number one quarterback for his class. So, of course, you don't go after him. But then after you get his commitment – why continue to go up to quarterbacks and bring him in? I thought that was the kind of thing that Urban had gotten himself into because I feel like it's Urban's business, and this is why I don't put a lot of blame on Urban. It's kind of like you know, coaches, they don't know if their star player is going to go to the league or come back for that final year. And when Tim came back, like, well, Urban's like to say, no, Tim, leave. Tim Tebow? You're going to say, yep, come back, let's put another daddy. But, they, but at the same time, though, Coaches can control who they give scholarships to, and I know this just because my brother has gone through it, that, like, they have a certain number of scholarships they give out anyway. So if you have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback who's only a sophomore, you can give that scholarship to a running back or to a receiver. Get him some weapons if he's going to be there at least another year rather than going after, like you said, Kevin Sumlin. I mean, that's three number one quarterbacks in three different classes. Like, you know what is going to happen. In a few, their job is to recruit. Their job ain't to make nobody happy. Their job and is to you recruit. Got, look, you guys brought up Kevin Sumlin. I'll bring up an even more recent example of what we've seen. Clemson. The University of Georgia. And Georgia. Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, and Justin Fields. All number, one, all number one rated overall quarterbacks. Yep. Now, of course, we, we know what happened with Eason. He got hurt his sophomore year. Yeah, that's so Jake Fromm comes in there. Right. But you still go hard after Justin Fields, who was the number one recruit in the country at the time, and he commits to Georgia only for you to come in and not use him the way that he should have been used. And then but in his case, yeah. he didn't have to sit out a year. And I'm glad he didn't have to sit out a year. I'm really happy for him that he's at Ohio State doing the big things that he's doing. I was about to, I was about to say that. I was about that. to say, I was about exactly. To say, we see what Justin Fields can do when given the opportunity. And because him believe, as well. I believe there's a point in the season where not only Justin Fields, not only Chase Young, but also J.K. Dobbins were all in the top five voting for the Heisman. Yep. Three players are one team in college in the finalist for the Heisman. I be- now, tell me if that's wrong, but I've never heard of that before. No, it's not wrong. And they had three, <laughs> and Ohio State had three of the top ten, top five picks. Because Joe Burrow went there. I mean, he didn't play, but he went there. So right. three of the five first-round picks were from Ohio State, which is the first time that's happened. So, you know, like. You see all these kids. I mean, and granted, it's only, I mean, it's over a hundred, maybe even a thousand universities you can go to. <laughs> so sometimes it's just a thing. But with Cam's case, you know, being a black quarterback, you're, you only have so many places you can go because especially at the time that he came out, quarterbacks, black quarterbacks, it was hard enough for them. But this dude is 6'5", 240. You think they're going to let him play quarterback? Nope. Yeah, I remember hearing that in one of the early episodes of the Cam Chronicles when they were saying, like, man, Cam, a big boy, like, you sure you don't want to have him on the line? You sure you don't want to have him playing tight end? And he's like, no, bro, I'll be quarterback. And here's the problem that I have with that in particular. Did you say the same things about Ben Roethlisberger when he was coming up? And I'm so I, I have to bring that up because that is Cam's most likely comparison as a quarterback. From the size, from the playing style, the arm strength, all of it. Even the injury. I don't remember. I, I don't remember.
I was eight, nine years old when Ben Roethlisberger was drafted. But when I go back and I look at old NFL Network tapes of what was it like before the 2004 NFL draft, how, what was the rapport like between the uh, draft picks that were coming up, I don't remember anyone on that panel ever saying that Ben Roethlisberger might not work out in the NFL because of his size as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. What I remember them saying just through going back and looking at those old tapes is Ben Roethlisberger is going to be a steal in this draft. Which he ended up being. <laughs> you know. But yeah, exactly. Nobody has ever questioned his ability and he you know, but nobody's ever questioned his abilities. They've they've always questioned Cam's, RG3's, Michael Vick's especially. Um, you know, and there's plenty of other ones who didn't make it to play. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson to this day. <laughs> People call Russell him. Wilson even had some a little uh, um, kickback in his draft class. Well, him, it was more because of his size, because he was 5'11". But, but still, I, I mean, like... And they tried that with Kyler Murray, short, too. They just for white quarterbacks, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, not that many. Drew Brees is, like, the only one. Generally, now, here's the, now, now, here's the one thing that I will say that maybe you can go back and look at why people may have said that about Cam, even though it's not fair, but I get it to a degree. We had a big quarterback come out just a few years before that and get drafted number one overall. Oh, my Jamarcus God. Russell. Marcus Russell. <laughs> and, 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 and we can stop right there. We don't have to say yeah, anything we, else yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. And which is not fair because, I mean, how many white Jamarcus Russells have there been? You know? Exactly. Look at Tim Couch. Look at Ryan Leaf. <laughs> look look at, uh, you know, we can go down and, and but, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, though, that is what Cam was up against. But, yeah, so eventually he goes to Blinn, which was very humbling and eye-opening for him because he, he gets there and, I mean, it's out in the middle of bumfuck Texas and... I, I think, or was Blinn the name of the city? Or just the college? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, Blinn's the name of the city. They, they're, they're actually, like, in the, junior, in the junior college ranks, they're actually, like, you know, a powerhouse. Like, right, you know, yeah. They'll come in there and knock your blog off. But they said, they said when Cam got there, at the time that he got there, it wasn't that common to get a prospect like him, which is how they said, the coach said he knew he messed up big time for him to be down here at little old Blinn. You know, and like that joint was humbling. I mean, they was working out in barns. You know, he's sleeping on the coach's couch, like, you know, doing tucks and stuff with manure around. Like, I mean, they was serious. It was, you know, and he went into a situation where there could have been some locker room tension immediately because the guy he was coming in up against was the dude who had bowled out his time and he was supposed to be a senior, you know, so. It could have gotten ugly, but it didn't, you know, and Cam and his competitive nature took over and he won that battle and he tore the JUCO ranks up. But the thing about Cam is, as we see in the NFL, the dancing and the dabbing and all that stuff turns a lot of people off. So even though he rightfully should have won MVP that season, he didn't get it because, you know, a bunch of coaches who mostly were mad that he beat them. Let's be honest. I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up. I'm glad you brought that point up because listening to that in the podcast, it really rubbed me the wrong way because it's kind of like, yeah, I understand. Nobody wants to be embarrassed. But if you feel that strongly about it, stop him. I feel the same way about Thank when. You. I'm glad. See. When Chad Ochocinco would celebrate. T.O. NBA players who they're trying to say, oh, he's too cocky to this. All you have to do to not see that anymore is to stop me. Stop him. Don't let exactly. me Don't let me win. And, but they were taught, they were like, and when I say that, be white people, they would have put that in the category of arrogant. And, and disrespecting like, the game. Just disrespectful to the game. And I just, I, I feel like, but it's just a cop out for racism. Exactly. Because you see a white quarterback do that? Oh, he's passionate. He loves the game. But when you see a black quarterback do that, oh, him and his little hood friends are trying to rob us and they're trying to steal what's ours. Or even like the woman in Tennessee who wrote the letter oh, to, I can't the, stand her. Uh, to the local paper. And then they, I forgot who they had, I forgot who Tyler said the man was who was speaking on that. It 
it was a guy that it was a guy named JJ. I can't remember what those initials stood for by name, but I believe okay. his name was JJ. Okay, but he was saying, well, if we're being honest, the story should have never been printed to begin with. Well, if you know that, why is it being printed? Well, no, he he's not the one that can well, well, control he it. He, well, he didn't have any control over it. I'm, I'm not saying him. I'm just talking about like. If it's that easy, if it's that easy for him to acknowledge that it should have never oh, been printed, yeah. Why why is it so hard for other white people? Like you can't just you can't blame that off being you know arrogant and cocky. That's racism, right? It is, but as we see with most companies, and it was a Tennessee paper that ran it. Most corporations, especially in the media industry. You're going to go off of what sells, and what sells in our industry is some form of controversy. And they knew that that was going to sell. That was, that hit those headlines, what was written in that letter, that was going to be eye-popping. That was going to be attention-grabbing, and mm-hmm. they knew it. And that's exactly what it was at the end of the day. Yep. But that whole Tennessee Titans incident, that whole game, that has always rubbed me the wrong way. Because, Lawrence, you already said it. If you don't like what I'm out here doing, Come out here and do something about it. Come out here and stop me from doing it. Like you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna call me out after I scored on you. That is, that was pathetic. Like, how the linebacker gonna let a quarterback run him over and then get mad that he's dancing? Nigga, I would dance on you too. <laughs> and the other thing about it is, it's not just that he was a black quarterback. It was the fact that no quarterbacks really had been like that. Because even Michael Vick wasn't much of a dancer. Like Cam no. was just. Cam was just different. Like, this dude was himself, which is like they said, it's an Atlanta thing, you know, that being in Atlanta, you being black in Atlanta gives you just the kind of freedom that a very few other places grant you that freedom, you know, and that's kind of part of the thing that goes into the clothes he wears, which I love. I, I you know, I make fun of him, but I, I love it, you know, you know, uh, and, and, and the dancing, which for us as young black men, when I was seeing Cam dabbing and stuff, that was empowerment. You know, like, it was good it was. to see a change from the usual Tom Brady's and Peyton Manning's. You know, as great as they were, they just, that's not who they were. You know, so mm-hmm. that's the other thing. Like Cam said at the Super Bowl, he was a black quarterback that made people uncomfortable and that they couldn't compare him to nothing. Which they got into that, too. That um, how you go from that to maybe not even a few months later, you go and say, hey, look, we're beyond race as a nation. Like not even a full year later, you yeah, go in a GQ interview. Yeah, and that's why I started, he started to get on his little, you know, excuse my language. Guys started to get on his little Kanye West soapbox talking about we're all moved on beyond it. We're moved past it. We're moved past it. Stop talking about racism. Like, you know, I mean, he didn't he didn't blatantly say that, but like, yeah, you you can't. But it, it just yeah. But back to Blend real quick. He goes to you Blend. Know, well, you know, the only thing to me that could possibly explain why that may have happened in the first place. Yeah, they and said the Republican words And don't take my words as a definite because I'm not sure if this actually happened. But go back and look at who the owner of the Carolina Panthers was at the time and what he said to Cam in a pre-draft interview before he even made the decision to draft him as his next franchise. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But um, before that, though, when he went to Auburn, there was the whole thing about, you know, Cecil and the, here's where Cecil comes in again. He, um, and at this point, I started to get a little like, okay, Cecil, like, all right, bro. But he, I mean, he was trying to protect his kid, but basically they said that he was exchanging text messages and saw anywhere from $100,000 to some other insane amount to try to get Cam to go there, but... Then, you know, when he got caught up with it, he said that he didn't like Mississippi because of the history with black quarterbacks and black people in Mississippi, which is understandable. But, you, I mean, you know, and like Tyler pointed out, it, it was kind of weird that you say that after you are exchanging anywhere from 100 to 200 text messages with this booster. Yeah, you know? I was going to say, out of everything, all six episodes... <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the BS meter for me that went off. That was the BS meter. Exactly. Only do you say that after you're caught, which is automatically like, okay, bro, you're lying. Right. But I mean, it might have been partially true. You already told, like, I'm talking about Cecil. You already told us 
in the first episode, in the first couple episodes, that y'all were looking at Mississippi State. You already let us know that. So why is it so flamboyant to be like, oh, it was never true. I would have never done that against my family. And I'm like, bro. And here's my what thing. What are you talking about? You literally told us y'all looking at Mississippi State. And here's my thing. Um, like Tyler said, if he took the money, I don't care. Because everybody can make can eat off of Cam, but his family can't. You know, like, you know, so... And they really tried to ostracize this man and make him look like this evil person and make the persona non grata, like he couldn't even play or he couldn't even watch his son play because he may have taken some money. And I'm like, yo, they make billions with a B. Yeah. With a B. Yeah. <laughs> like... That's my only thing that's like... I kind of hate when people, when you make that type of comment, I hate when people backtrack off their comments. Like, own what you said. Like, live in your truth. Don't bold to the pressure. Kind of like with the B. Simone thing when she's talking about she won't date anybody who works a nine to five. And then, she, and then her stuff got blown up and then she wants to retract her statement. Or you see, I think it was Chris Brown or Trey Charles were talking about they don't want any fat girls in their section. And then when they got all the heat for it, they want to retract it. We as humans don't have the right to tell somebody else how to live. So if that's what you prefer, that's what you prefer. But don't try to backtrack and, oh, well, that's not what I meant. This wasn't for this. And that's what, like, from that point on, that's what I got. A, that's the vibe I got from Cecil. And he's just trying to cover it up and make it seem like it's a big misunderstanding. Where it's like, and the part where he's like, Oh, well, if we were taking money, don't you think you would have lived off of No, bro. You're not. I don't think you all are fools. You're not stupid. Like, I'm, I believe that if y'all did take the money, you stashed it away. Because there's a point, there's a quote that he had that really made me believe that he took the money where he was like, well, I let them run a, I let them, I let them run a background check or like do whatever they had to do to try to find the money. And they didn't find anything. So we have to be innocent. I was like, man, if you if you would ever see Law and Order before in your life, you know. <laughs> all I heard in that is, look, I game the system. They game us all the time. I game the look. They only get mad when you when you successfully game them back. <laughs> and here was an even more uncomfortable part in that whole entire part of this podcast. When we get to that portion right there. Mm-hmm. This is coming from a man who is a bishop and is a and is a congregation leader of people who is supposed to be about telling people and always encouraging people to do the right thing, even when the right thing is not the easiest thing to do. And that's what rubbed me the wrong way when I first heard about it. When I heard he was a pastor, that's like, whoa, a pastor doing this? When it was all yeah. over Sports Illustrated. But when they finally and, moved... And, and, and before you move on... Mm -hmm. Here's the ironic thing about that whole thing. All of this went down around the same time another very well-known, popular Atlanta pastor and bishop had his own stuff going on inside of his church. I'm talking about the late Bishop Eddie L. Long. Yeah, so, we, 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 we don't even have to get into that. We, we, exactly. we, we know exactly what he was doing. Yep. But this ain't quite to the level of that. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. But no, no. But what I'm saying is, it's, it's along the lines of more controversy right. being brought into the sanctuary. That's all I'm saying there. Right, right. I, yeah, and I, I was just saying that I felt it really strange. It was, I, I got the tips from Cecil that it was kind of like he kind, like he kind of one of them, the people who on his sleeves he wants you to know you're a Christian, but behind closed doors he might live a different lifestyle. Because it was like. Not only is it in the past, bro, like, hey, I'm long gone from Florida. We long gone from that, bro. This would have been the time for you to be like, yeah, bro, I talked to them people. If you are as saved as you are, what, like, that That had no harm. Literally, like, Cam is removed. Your son doesn't go to Mississippi State. Your other son's at, your other son's at HBCU. Well, he's at Auburn now. Well, uh, well, now he's at Auburn. I'm saying, like, at the time... Yeah, he was, there, yeah. You're right. What I'm trying to say is there have been ample opportunities for Cecil to come out. Right. Because you can't tell me, for someone that, quote-unquote, built their son, I'm, and I'm not pulling up to their Heisman ceremony? You're, you're mistaken. I'm pulling up. But, I mean, he said... That's a championship game. 
But he said, but he said the point he made was, look, he didn't want to put Cam through that and them try to rule him ineligible to play. So I, I mean, I, you sometimes you can take the L instead of trying to, sw- like he 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 decided to swallow his pride, which which is kind of respectable when you think about it, because he wasn't trying, because they would go after his son, which is what you don't want. So yeah, I mean, but my thing is like if you are completely innocent, in, and that's another, it's like it's like a slippery slope. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Say, don't defend your son. But in that same breath, bro, if you're innocent, bro, what y'all got to find? If you didn't, if you never took it, but then that's what Tyler started to go into talking about. Well, if you was completely innocent, then how come there were 250 phone calls between him and a Mississippi State booster right. between the time that Cam was at Florida and between the time he was at Blitz? Mm-hmm. So you know there are some holes in this story that kind of be like. Well, if you are, if y'all were innocent, then why, why did they come to y'all, come to y'all with that deal? Like, why could you do it if you were innocent? Right. But anyway, he when he what he did at Auburn, we all remember. I'm pretty sure. Like, it, it speaks for itself what he did there, especially that Alabama game. Like, these dudes was down 24 seven. You know, everybody was wondering whatever, and then they came back, and I remember that year too. Like. Do you all remember where you were when that game happened? Yes, I do. I was at home watching the game. Auburn was getting blown out, and I had made an executive decision. I'm going to go in here and fix me another plate of leftovers and try to enjoy what's left of this game. And by the time I came back in with my plate, Auburn had made this a 10-point game. So I'm like, okay, this is probably now about to get interesting. But it became even more interesting than I thought it was about to become. Right, like... I don't. I don't think I watched the game, which is crazy. I just remember hearing the highlights. I'm like, you know, because Alabama had just won a championship. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, they're just gonna go and do it again. Whatever. They're up 24. So I'm like, yeah, it's been fun while it lasted. These niggas came back. <laughs> I'm just like, yo, this dude is crazy. Like, and like, I'm, I, and Tyler went into a little in depth of it. But do people actually understand how loaded that Alabama team was that year? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. That's what made it crazier. I'm like, yo, Julio Jones. I don't think they understand. Julio Jones. I don't think people really understand until we get, like, years from now, what Nick Saban was doing down there in Bama. Like, brothers, if these people turn out in the NFL or not, the talent that Saban has coming through Alabama right now, yeah, no. That's a, that's a like, but that let's, year it was let's, just let's at just another put it level. Like this. The if offense alone. If that 2010 Alabama team runs the table, goes undefeated, wins the national championship, to me, that's the closest team of our lifetime that we can say probably rivals that 2001 Miami Hurricanes team. Yep. Because they were that they were that rich in town. Look, I know people have their jokes they're gonna say about Trent Richardson because of what happened with him in the NFL. I Trent don't care Richardson about none of that. Alabama was a dog. Exactly, okay? yeah. killer, killer. That's what we won't do. We can talk all about <laughs> Trent in the NFL. We can do that. Those jokes, whatever. What we're not gonna do is forget where he was at, at Alabama, and then Mark Ingram behind him was ridiculous. Then you have Julio Jones on one side. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mark was in front of Trent. Sorry, the other way right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark in Mark, front of him. I, I know, I know they had like, I know they had like a grip of running backs, and it's hard to remember the order. But Mark <laughs> was the first one to talk to Shane. Um, yeah. We got running backs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And then you look at what Cam had. Not one, nothing. <laughs> nothing. It is funny because Scrubs. my AUC brother, Bamani Jones, had said anytime. I think you're either any top 10 or any top 25 team that year. If you put Cam Newton on that team, they're winning the championship. Put no him, that's what I'm saying. Look, his senior season, if he's on Florida, I don't even want to think about it. That's a ring. That's a ring. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. And I know Florida I fans don't want to. Florida fans and don't want to think about I, it either. I only remember one other offensive player from that Auburn team, and he didn't go to the NFL and do anything. But I remember his name because he was the player that made the key catch for the key run in the national championship game. I know that was Michael Dyer. Michael Dyer. That's the only yeah. other player I remember from that team. That's what I'm saying. Like that team scrubs. <laughs> and you know the fact that every year people say that nobody from that team ever defends themselves. Like, I've never heard nobody from, like, that team come up and say, look, 
I'm tired of y'all calling us bums. Nobody does that because they all recognize Cam was the I mean, real they can't, they, can't they, they can't do that, though, because it's like if one of them did come up to say something, all we got to do is pull up, the, pull up the numbers. No, but I'm saying, but that <laughs> numbers ain't never stopped nobody. I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm just saying, like, you know, usually people will defend, like, especially in the NFL, like, if you try to come for somebody, they'll be like, oh, you know, I've learned a lot from him, I've done, nobody has, none, nobody from that Auburn team defends themselves when we talk about how much of a scrub the rest of that team was, but like you said, if Cam is on Mississippi State, if Cam, for damn sure, is on Florida, Alabama, Alabama, let's not even, like, no, let's not even go there, <laughs> Alabama won championships with Greg McElroy and A.J. McCarron. God only knows what Cam Newton would have done in that offense. You, you know? know, I feel the same way when I look at the University of Texas football and they won with Colt McCoy. I'm not, not trying to bash Colt McCoy. But yeah, Colton College was like that. They let leave the state of Texas to go play somewhere else? Oh, yeah. The University of Texas would have kept them boys? Same with Miami. They let Lamar Jackson walk out of the state. That is unforgivable. That is unfor- that's like that's 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 unforgivable. No, but, te- but Texas has had like let bigger fit like Texas let Andrew No, 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 walk. I get it. I yeah, like, Ke- Texas let Drew Brees walk. Nick Foles. Texas had Nick Foles. Kyler Murray. Baker. Well <laughs> Kyler Kyler wasn't gonna go there. But they had um what's dude's name? Um Baker. I mean Baker was there. Yep, they had Baker. <laughs> like yeah, you the Longhorns had some QBs that could have resurrected their current program from what we currently Years know. ago. And yeah. all we know is Charlie Strong could still have a job there. Yeah, but now he's living the lap of luxury in Tuscaloosa, so he's chilling. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get a ring this year. <laughs> right. Well, maybe not, maybe, not, maybe not this year. I don't know about this year because Justin Fields is. If, if, if the pandemic don't stop him, Justin Fields will. But that's a whole nother anything. But <laughs> this man... Cam had the greatest. Do we do we all agree that Cam Newton had could? Is it fair to say that's the greatest single season by anybody? I believe it is because a lot of people will try to make that argument for Joe Burrow. As far as I'm concerned, Joe Burrow was surrounded with some dogs. I don't remember any other player on that Auburn team on any side of the football outside of Michael Dyer that Cam Newton played with that was an actual difference maker. Right. Like, I really don't. Like, Cam was that team. Like, even Tyler made the joke. The Cam, I mean, the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> I'll say this. I'll, I don't know if this individual had the same complete season as Cam did, but I, he did it in multiple seasons. And I believe that Johnny Manziel ain't him. He tore some things up down there at a and I'm not saying he can go win a natty and all, the, all that kind of stuff, but he did pull up in Tuscaloosa. Just like Cam did and slapped them boys in the face. Yeah, but give Cam Mike Evans and see what happens. But see, I see exactly what Lawrence is saying right there. Because yeah. before Johnny Manziel showed up at Texas A&M, we weren't paying attention to that. Well, Ryan Tannehill, for some reason, we were. For some reason. <laughs> well, I can tell you for a fact I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't either, but I don't know why everybody else was, but. And they were back in the Big 12 back then. That was when they first jumped up to the SEC is when Manziel got there. He came at the right time, too, because if he'd have been in the Big 12, we probably wouldn't have cared about him because everybody was doing that. <laughs> you know, this man came to the Gino SEC. Smith. Yeah, oh, my God. That man's highlight tape was <laughs> – I was so disappointed that he didn't – I should have known, but I just was disappointed. But anyway, if Manziel would have came – like, he came to the SEC and changed it because, you know – Alabama now runs running gun offenses. That wasn't happening before Manziel. Manziel came in and beat that ass twice. Well, the second the second time they didn't win, but like he was he was putting a number on them, and that changed how Alabama like Tua Tagovailoa does not come to Alabama if Johnny Manziel is not at Texas A&M. I truly believe that. But you know, back to Cam though, when he his first year that he got to the league. They probably should have won more games than they did. Like, I mean, the dude, you could see the talent. Like, because remember Carolina, and like you said, there there was the whole thing about him leading up to the draft. People were saying stuff. It was a lot of racially coded language that was being used to describe him. 
you know, you have people like Mike Mayock, who somehow is a GM now, saying that Cam was a hit or miss for him. And then, of course, the infamous Jerry Richardson interview, where this man in his country, Southern Plantations, are all said, you know, I told him, do you have any piercings? He said, no, sir, I don't. He, he said, do you have any tattoos? He said, no, sir, I don't. Well, let's keep it that way. And he said he was considering growing his hair out. And I told him, let's not do that. Let's, no piercings, no tattoos, and let's keep a nice, clean haircut. I'm like, did that not sound cringeworthy to white people? I don't think it does. I don't think it does to them. Like, like it's, <sighs> it's almost very similar to the comments that... that Penn State fan, maybe former Penn State player, issued to that Penn State player last year oh, about yeah. his dreads. Yep. Oh, your hair looks awful. He had the audacity to say that to this dude. And then, then he backed it up by saying, I don't want him to look like one of these Miami guys. Like, what the hell does that mean? The hell is wrong? Like, you know, so they really were just out of pocket with it. And I'm so glad Jerry Richardson was forced to sell the team. I mean, granted, under the circumstances it came under, I mean, you know, he should have known that that was wild. But, like, it's a good thing he ain't the owner no more. But he ain't the only one thinking like that. No, he's not. But you know what I find very ironic? The fact that the minute Jerry Richardson was gone, Cam started started to do everything that he told him not to do. I ain't seen the piercings yet. All right. Yeah, I haven't. Well, I haven't seen any piercings. I haven't seen any tattoos. But the hair growing, yeah. He had the he had the, uh, the the nice little diamond in his ear the year that he won a, went to the Super Bowl, <laughs> but yeah, but no, you're right though. The hair growing out is it's kind of ironic that, like you said, that it's happened after he left after Richardson sold the team, but you know then obviously they went into this was kind of interesting that. I forgot the lady's name, but she was a beat writer for the Panthers, and she asked Cam a question, and then remember he infamously said that, you know, it was kind of funny to see a female talk about routes, and then, you know, that blew up in Cam's face, and at first the story was about him, but then the table flips because they find out that this girl got racist tweets. And this is this a white woman. She has racist tweets and was laughing at some other racist tweets. And she was talking about how, you know, she wanted to kill herself. And that's not funny. But, like, you know, like, just it flipped. And, like, she had to take some time off. Like, it, it really, like, the table's turned. And she had to apologize to an unnamed black player because she didn't put his name out there that she talked to. Like, and then she finally understood where Cam's how he was in his footsteps and like the position he was in being the quarterback in Carolina. Like that was very interesting. I I was shout out to Tyler for getting that. Like again, you know, I did not expect that at all. You know, it was like the first half of episode six was dedicated to her. Right. Almost very similar to how we saw episode Nine of the last dance basically being dedicated to Steve Kerr, yep. which we didn't see coming. Yeah, that that, that was kind of similar to that. Right, like almost exactly. Like, I mean, her her origin and everything. <laughs> and then they went into, you know, Cam's final years in Carolina and kind of, you know, pretty much the Panthers did him dirty. Like, you know, as we've said multiple times, like they could have let him go. If they knew they weren't bringing him back, they could have let him go a while back. And they, they let him wait out until it was nothing left. And then he goes to, of all places, New England. You know, and now he's up there. And you we've seen the workout videos. We've, like, I mean, I ain't never in my life seen anybody. And I'm the most gospel listening person. I ain't never worked out the gospel music. That is a different yeah, level like, of focus. He's coming. He coming. He's coming for the league this year. He is going to burn the league to the ground. <laughs> and yeah. I'm here for it. So I'm going to come to you with a quick confession really quickly. After I saw him do that, I tried to do it for a week. I was like, I don't know how he did that. But I pushed myself through those workouts. I'm like, 
I gotta go back to what works best for me. And it's like it's not that we, you know, we 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 love Jesus. You know, we're not trying to be heathens yes. here. Like, but God, like even in the Bible, let's say it's the time and place for everything. Like, and if I'm, yeah. I'm not running to. Especially not to the song he was listening to, uh, Great. No. <laughs> like, I think that I think where you get that though, that might be Cecil in his religious background though. Like for all we know, that could be his like com- his, his comfort place. You know what I'm saying? Like that could be I mean, where he makes him feel like he's to where like you know like like, you're, like y'all are saying. But we work out, we need a little bit more different tempo. Like me, yeah. I, I always for joke. Him and, like everything that he's been through, that might be a thing that like. Settles him down and, and, and makes it makes it easy for him to get through a workout. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, like Russell Wilson listens to Marvin Gaye. You know, Michael Jordan was listening to Anita Baker <laughs> and dropping fifty on niggas' heads. You know, I'm not when I'm when I'm doing my running workouts. I've tried everything. I've done some bachata. I've done dance hall, reggaeton, gospel. Just never crossed my mind. You know, I listen to it any other time. But I'm not running to never would have made it. You right. Know? Even though I know I never would have made it without him. But I just, I'm not running to it. You know? And that that's a different level of focus. Like you said, that, it works for him. But I like the ending, though. That they, they, they put Cam and his natural element up at the pool pit. You know? And we got a chance to see. Because Cam didn't appear a whole lot in the documentary itself. You know, because he's right. a private person, and this is this is another example of the fact that you can do a profile on anybody without ever speaking a word to them, if you do it the right way. Like they, they, but they got Cam up there at the pool pit, and he was speaking some real stuff up there. You know, I had to save that episode so I can go back and listen to it again. But about you know believing in yourself, and you know how faith without works is dead, obviously, and. That's kind of the story of what I think he's trying to do now. And it was like a nice way to, to, to close it out, you know. I think, for sure. And I'm I'm rooting for Cam a whole lot more. Like, it just really kind of rejuvenated my respect for that dude. Because, I mean, he really... We saw... Our generation really is blessed, bro. Like, we got to see... I feel like, at least for me, because I'm a little bit younger, but Michael Vick, I saw him, I was kind of young when he first got here. So I saw him, but I wasn't as, like, aware of the monumental, like, the monumental gravity of that moment. When Cam Newton got drafted, I was in high school. So... I fully got to see his entire career and just how it played out and kind of the new wave of quarterbacks that have come in the league. Like, he started it. Granted, he's different. Every All of them are different. But it was him first, RG3 the next year, RG3 and Russell Wilson and Kaepernick the next year. And then that opened. Now we see, like, it's running the league now. You know, the Lamar Jacksons, the Deshaun Watsons, the Pat Mahomeses. So... I mean, it's it's really cool that we got to see that evolution before our eyes, really. Yeah, for sure. After I was done watching the series, all I could say was, it's only right for this man to go to New England and win a Super Bowl. He's got something to prove, and he's going up there with a coach and an offensive coordinator who are also going to feel like they have something to prove, too. Now that their future first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback is no longer there. And Cam could very well be in that conversation to a future first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. Not saying he's not, but we all know what Tom Brady is, what he was in New England, and where he stands in the lore of American sports history. Exactly. Yeah, he's getting his own last dance. Like, they already got the documentary set up and everything. So we know. And I think it's going to be easier for Cam than it would have been for a Jared Stiddle. To, to, which is, I think, why, like you said, which is why Belichick stepped in and made that move. So Yeah, uh, my fault. I, I just also wanted to add that, have you all seen the YouTube video where it's like Cam, Odell, uh, and Victor, Victor Cruz? Uh, Victor yeah, Cruz. Victor Cruz and Todd Gurley, they're talking about it. I, I was actually just watching that the day I didn't get to finish it. Yeah, I haven't gotten okay, to see it so yet. Basically, there's a point in there to where 
they're going about they're talking they're talking about the elephant about like Cam going to su- surpass Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and they're like, Tom, uh, I mean Cam's like, look, I'm not trying to say that, you know, uh, I'm not trying to say that Tom is such such. Or I'm trying to do this. Tom is great, will be great, and will like always for no be a goat. But he's not like on the other hand. Josh, you would be able to call some things that you had never been able to call before. Yep. <laughs> you you would be able to do some things that you haven't been able to do before. So, and to the point earlier about, like, black quarterbacks and growing up with Cam, I just want to say how, like, us as, as a black community, in the sports community as a bigger pool, in the last, I want to say, two to three decades, We've actually, to my to my knowledge, I thought we've been kind of spoiled. Yes. In our in our plethora of black quarterbacks, from what it used to be, to where you never used to, they never even used to get a shot at D one. Now it's like if you like now it's kind of like our, we moved past Division one. Almost all the top twenty um, programs have a black quarterback at the helm or a. Black playmaker on their team, mm-hmm. but now we're in the NFL, and yeah, we still see kickback. But opposed to where we used to come from in the War days, man, and the Doug Williams, and shout even out. and even now, it's like the white quarterbacks that are coming out are being judged based off of the black skills. So, like a Trevor Lawrence, for example, you would look at him and think maybe he's the prototypical. Tom Brady or Peyton Manning type, but like you have to have some mobility. You have to be able to throw on the run now, like which he can do. He can do some of those things. Like even the white quarterbacks are being judged based off of the blackness skills. Like I tell you, Sam Hill, he has Cam Newton and Michael Vick and all these guys to thank for being able to have a career up to this point and do all the things that the Saints have been able to do with him. That doesn't happen in the early in the late two thousands. <laughs> or or the early 2000s, you know? Like, the NFL really is a copycat league now. You know, Johnny Manziel, if, he, if he'd have came out maybe a few years later, he probably would have had a better career, <laughs> you know? Well, assuming some other things, but, yeah. And y'all already alluded to this, but it's one black quarterback from the, from the late 80s all throughout the 90s that he doesn't get his roses that he deserves either. Randall. And... I would love to see a podcast series or a documentary on him, and I'm not talking about a football life on NFL Network. No, I'm talking about somebody actually telling his full story. Yeah, I'm talking about Randall Cunningham. Yes, give that man his flowers. Give that man, because that's what I'm saying. You, we talk about Warren Moon and all them, and then we just skip right over Randall and go straight to Dante Culpepper and Michael Vick. <laughs> it's like, it's like, do we realize that Randall Cunningham was the quarterback for most of the year on that Minnesota Vikings team that went fifteen and one and should have made it to the Super Bowl in '98? Randy Moss's rookie year. Do we forget about that? I think by then he wasn't. By then he wasn't the Randall Cunningham in Philly. Like he he wasn't running as much by then. He was kind of like Michael Vick in Philly, where he had a bomb and would just stand back in that pocket and slice and dice you. And then, like you said, they obviously lost in a game they shouldn't have lost to, but they should have gone to the Super Bowl that year. And Chris Carter, Randy Moss, yeah, that team was crazy. But Randall needs his flowers, and hopefully somebody will do it. And I believe that that I believe that Vikings team has a football-like episode. I believe that they do. I remember Chris Carter talking about, like, Work like playing with Randy, like as a young, as a young stud he was. Oh yeah, Chris but Carter yeah, has I, a football. I life. agree that they definitely need to like get their own um, podcast treatment. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not a football life for that Vikings team. It's this other series as a prelude to what they have on America's Game, where they're honoring the champions. They have a few episodes in there where they honor the teams that they feel have. Missing Ring series and that '98 Vikings team comes up. Mm-hmm. There's another Vikings team in there somewhere too. Probably '99. Yeah, it, it, it's in there. Yeah, but yeah, I think to wrap it up, really, I think that Cam Newton definitely achieved his goal of becoming an entertainer and an icon. Uh, 
I mean, there was a part that I disagreed with that where I forgot it was the lady, it was the woman where talk where he had the kind of. It's funny to see a woman talking about routes. Oh yeah, that yeah, lady, we, that's what we went over. She said that he's an international superstar. I wouldn't say that Cam Newton is an international superstar. Just based solely of you know. Where he is now, Kurt, like, if you were an international superstar, it wouldn't take you to use this one to get a job. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not trying to use it as a knock against him. Like, when I think international superstar, I think... I think Odell. Odell. I think Beyonce, Drake. People, like, no matter what year you're told, no matter what time zone in, they know your name. No, but I'm just saying in terms of NFL players who we can say that about, I think about Odell, and I don't think about anybody else after that. Agreed. Agreed. Not, not even Mahomes? Nah, not no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, okay. Now, he's on his way. Him and Lamar are on their way. Yeah. But I feel like what Odell did, like, do you know for that brief year, there were, I think there was like a three-year stint yep. where every young man in America, in the world who plays football, was dying their hair like Odell? And not just football. We're talking any sport because, remember, Neymar in soccer had yeah, that. Yeah, Neymar. Yeah. But, I mean, he's Brazilian, so that's different. They They do that anyway. But you know, that's not a knock on them. Like, really, Brazilians are different. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, everybody had that. And before him, it was um, that, that Duke team in 2010 where everybody had the high top fades. <laughs> that was an era. <laughs> the high yeah. top fade era was an era. But, yeah. But, or, like, that goes along with, like, that. I remember they called it for a little bit, like, the Duke starting five haircut. Yeah. It was, it was a transformation because, remember, Duke used to be – I mean, not to get off topic, Duke used to be, you know, the white boys, the, the Bobby Hurleys and the, the Christian Leitners, the That's what they used to be. And to go from that to the starting five they had in 2010 and then take it even further down to what Zion and RJ had. And you know what the funniest thing about all of that is? Grant Hill sported that haircut when it was actually a part of the 90s era, like when the high top fade was really like that deal. Mm-hmm. And nobody thought anything of it. Yeah, because it was like fuck Duke back then. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that um I think we can wrap this up. It's been a really fun conversation, y'all. This was a really great series. Once again, shout out to Tyler to Tyler R. Times. And I look forward to lit right watching, listening, whatever, to more of his work because that brother is definitely on to something. You know Yeah, he's going places. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, journalism's in good hands with guys like him, for sure. But, um, yeah, this has been the play-by-play analysis. It's been X, Lawrence. Thank you guys again. You know? As always, thank you for having us. And if I find out about Tyler having anything else in the works, I'll let y'all know behind the scenes. Got you. Say less. Got you. All right, and we got to go. I'm going to see y'all when I see y'all. Deuces.